Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au forward slash media. Welcome everybody. Welcome to Worldview Night. It's, um, it's great to be here and um, many of you are already seated now, so I'll save saying you may be seated, what I just did, so... Um, if you've been following over the last few uh, months, we've been going over some of the uh, Christian worldview topics, answering some of those bigger questions um, about life, about origin, meaning, um, why do we exist, where does, where does everything come from, um, what happens after we die, and what is right and what is wrong, some of these bigger, deeper questions from a Christian perspective. And originally I had planned to talk about the resurrection this evening, uh, I promise we will get to that. Uh, but seeing as today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, I figured what better night to uh, also talk about that this evening. So we're going to do that. I am convinced that very few topics um, are of more significance than this one. And so it is all the more reason for us to talk about it tonight. The phrase Sanctity of Life refers to the idea that human life is essentially sacred, holy, and precious. The sanctity of life is inherent as man cannot ultimately create life. Therefore, man has no authority to destroy it. A topic as important as this one finds itself entangled and submerged in a bunch of other related topics such as ethics and morality and value not to mention anthropology and theology, discussions about humanity and God. And so this evening we will address the subject of life, but more primarily the subject of life of the unborn from a biblical and Christian perspective. We want to look at the following. How does God see life? How does God see the unborn? How do we view life of the unborn, the life of the unborn from a Christian perspective compared to say... Uh, maybe um, a standard secular view. What should we believe? Why should we believe that life begins at conception? And what does the Bible say about the sanctity of life? Christians take their instructions from God's Word, the Bible. Rather than passively absorbing and accepting the values of the world around us, Christians look to the wisdom of the Scriptures on any given topic. Once, societies built the Judeo-Christian ethic, accepted that all human life was precious because it was human life. Period. And our laws and our social norms demonstrated that belief. Today, in a rapidly changing culture and world, which is embracing new technologies and behaviours daily, the value of human life has become arbitrary with an undefined assignment of criteria. The result is that some human lives are seen as more valuable than others, more worthy than others, and judgments are made every day as to their value. As Pastor Jeff this morning mentioned, life is ever increasingly being devalued. We see this in areas of abortion, of suicide, slavery, racism, and, and so on. However, Christians believe that all human life is valuable and has intrinsic value from conception. 
the very beginning of life. That the unborn has a right to life simply because it is a human being, made in the image of God and an object of His love and grace. The Bible talks about the sanctity of human life, especially unborn life in the womb. This insert provides just a few scripture verses that speak to the value of unborn life created in God's image from the moment of conception. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord who has made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. Isaiah 44 verses 24. Here it says that God formed us in the womb, that God has designed the unborn and has purpose for us even from the very beginning. Psalm 139 verses 13 to 16 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven uh, woven together into the depths of the earth. In the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Here David describes how God knitted him together and knew that he was a cherished person right from the beginning before he was born. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations, God says in Isaiah, in Jeremiah chapters 1 to 5, 1 verses 5. We can clearly see from these passages and others that the unborn are not merely coincidental, but valuable and formed by God himself. Scripture attributes the same characteristics to the unborn as to the born. This can be seen as the Greek word for baby, brephos, is applied to the unborn child. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. That's in Luke chapter 1 verse uh, 41 to 44. How should a woman view her body and the unborn life growing in her womb? Psalm 127 verse 3 says that children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward from Him. Does the unborn have a right to life? As the Bible considers the unborn to be a human being, then all the rights should be applied. All the rights to life should be applied. This is further supported by the biblical prohibition to killing the innocent. Christians are called to defend the weak and the most vulnerable. Proverbs 31 verse 8 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. So we can see um, from the biblical standpoint, from these verses and others, that the unborn are formed by God as a blessing worthy of life and value and deserving of our protection and care. Now, I want to do something just a little bit different this evening. Um, I want to invite Julie Robinson to come up on the stage and share that with me. Um, 
Many of you have met her. Um, you can come up now. Um, many of you have met Julie. Uh, for those who don't, this is my mother. And um, we, we've never done something like this before, but um, it, uh, I'm sure it'll be a lot of fun. So um, actually, come to, come to think of this, this is a little bit risky. I, I, I've realized that if anyone has dirt on you or embarrassing facts, it's your mother. So I'm just hoping and praying that, she, um, that I'm in her good books tonight. So, um, so did you want to maybe just share a little bit about who you are and what you do? And thank you, everyone, for having me here tonight. It's just really lovely to be here with you. Um, As Mitchell said, I'm his mum. I'm also mum to six other children. There's a few of them here tonight as well. Um, So that's one thing that I have been doing for the last number of years is raising seven children. Um, But I also, um, I have a social, I'm, I'm a social worker, so I also work in family intervention Um, at the moment and I've spent many years um, working in the area of supporting pregnant women and early parenting mums and I do that in a number of different ways. Um, One of the things that I have done is volunteer for Priceless House which is a pregnancy support organisation. Some of you may have heard of Priceless House but it's a wonderful organisation Um, They journey with women who are facing unplanned or unexpected pregnancies and they do that um, through a provision of a number of different services. So I volunteered with them for probably 15, 16 years Um, and at the moment, yeah, I'm still, I guess, working in that space um, in my other work in family intervention and I also do a bit of lecturing at um, CHC. So that's a little bit about me. Great. You can see why I've got her up here to talk about this tonight. Um, so to start with, um, why do you think that it's important for Christians to talk about this topic on um, the unborn, um, abortion, not just to have a belief about it, but to actually talk about it with other people and bring it up in conversations and things? Yeah, thanks Mitch. And I think it's really important because there is so many different messages out there in society about um, children, about babies, about pregnancy, about abortion. So many different mixed messages and it's really important that those of us who are Christians who understand um, that the Bible is is the foundational truth of our lives, that we understand what the Bible has to say about these things and that we understand that what the Bible says in Romans 12, that we're not to be conformed to the world but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and so if we don't talk about these issues and if we don't equip Christians with knowledge and information and understanding about these things it's just too easy to absorb the the messages of the world around us. Yeah I think um, it's a it's a topic that can get quite heated easily this this discussion I know from myself when conversations I've had in the past um, it does get emotionally charged and from both sides too. Um, and so perhaps is there any, is there, are there any tips or any hints that you could give to somebody who maybe is in their workplace and finds it difficult to be able to bring this topic up or 
when they're confronted with this subject and someone says, hey, you know, you're a Christian, what are your thoughts on abortion or what do you think? Um, what are some ways that we can talk about this without feeling um, uh, nervous, without letting down and compromising on, say, truth, but at the same time doing it in, in love? Mm. What are some practical ways that we can talk about this? I think you've um, just hit the nail on the head, Mitch. I answered it, okay. No, no, but um, (laughs) Jesus said, you know, um, people will know you're Christians by our love. So I think that's the first thing, is to always approach a discussion like this in a spirit of love. Um, These can be really difficult discussions because they can be really painful discussions for people. Um, And I think to understand that people come from all different kinds of backgrounds and have different stories and just to have that same compassion of Christ and I think if we um, have that approach to start with I'm reminded of Jesus when he met the woman at the well and um, you know he he said to her I know that you've had five husbands but he never berated her or judged or condemned her for that he instead offered her life-giving water and I think that's the thing, if we as Christians can have that love and that compassion of Christ and um, people will feel that and they will come and they will, they, they will be thirsty and we can give them that, that same life-giving water that we have. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Always coming from it, um, at it from a loving perspective. Mm. I think people often feel, they feel judged too. If, if you already are a Christian, a lot of people come into the conversation thinking that you're going to judge them mm. from the beginning or something. Yeah. So I, um, I think that's really important as well, mm. starting from a love. And Mitchell, point. you know that we, um, we when, I, when I was at Priceless, one of the things that we did was take teams into the high schools and talk to high school kids about these topics. And mm. I used to say to our volunteers, um, every time you come into the schools with us, I want you to assume that within the audience there are people who have... Um, had a termination or have been part of a at a decision for a termination and if you keep that in the back of your mind then you will be um, you it will remind you to be gracious mm. and to be very gentle with the way that you speak one of the more um, common objections that you get or um, the slogans the popular phrases that come up is um, you know my body my choice did you could you speak to that? Give us some of your thoughts on what that means. My body, my choice. Because um, that's a quite popular sort of um, response to mm-hmm. somebody who's maybe making the claim that life is valuable from conception. Um, the child's life is you know, intrinsically valuable. Sometimes you get this, my body, my choice. Um, yeah. What does that mean and, and what are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I think it's really easy for people um, to just pick up these small slogans or these, you know, a couple of words, my body, my choice, this is a decision just between a woman and a doctor. There's quite a number of these slogans that are out there and they're designed just to shut down debate or to shut down conversation. Mm -hmm. And I've always found, though, that when you just gently um, continue to... Um, raise conversation with people and they are interested to start to just move beyond that and you ask them well what about this and 
talk with them that people, once they start to unpack those slogans and go a little bit deeper, they find that those slogans actually don't always, they don't always explain or they don't always achieve what they really should achieve, Mitchell. Mm. They're just start, they're, but they're designed to kind of close down conversation. Um, they just shut it down from the start, not to not yeah. engage in any thought, fruitful discussion. It's just put a roadblock in it. Yeah, and they're very value-laden in themselves. Mm. So, um, you know, some others are, you know, no uterus, no voice, and you might see those slogans, mm. and, and that's to shut down the, ma the men's voices, you know, or um, others, you, you know, keep your... Um, Keep your rosaries off my ovaries. That was keep your yeah keep your rosaries off my ovaries, and that's to you know that's to have a go at Catholic people and to shut down their voices, you know, mm. and so they have the there are these slogans out there, these little liners, but but I've found that when you genuinely sit down with people and you start to just talk with them and you move beyond them, those those things that um, you can have really important conversations. Yeah, the, the rosaries, ovaries one, it, it's often a statement that's made uh, and there's a point attached to it which is basically that abortion is essentially, or the pro-life movement is essentially a religious movement. Mm. So we're not just, we're not talking about morals right now, we're, we're talking about religion and you guys are all religious. Mm. I, I get that vibe. Um, I mean, do you have any thoughts on, on that? Mm. Like, it's just a religious movement, that's all it is. Mm. I do, and I think the important thing to say there is that there's an awful lot of people who are not Christians who are who value life, mm. and they may do it because of a scientific reason, um, because they've studied embryology and they know that human life has, you know, begins at conception. So there's a lot of people out there who are not Christians, who are not people of faith, who are also people who value human life. So it's not just Christians yeah. or people of faith, Mitch. Yeah, it's a broader moral issue, not, not just yeah. a religious thing. And in fact, in my own life, um, I was 16 and I was sitting in a library and had some time on my hands and thought, oh, I'll just walk around and find some books to read. Came across a section of books on abortion and I thought, oh, I don't know anything about that. I don't know very much about that. So um, I took the books down, read them and was really confronted by what I was reading, mm. took them home. Um, and I came to a decision then that I felt, yeah, you know, human life even before babies are born uh, are valuable. But I wasn't a Christian till I was 19. So um, my um, awareness about this issue came before my faith in Christ. Mm. So, Yeah, before faith. Yeah. You mentioned the science. Now, I, I know you brought a few props with you. Um, it'd be good to hand those out. Um, we've... There is a scientific argument that's out there that talks about, um, at least it used to be popular, these days it's become less popular, but it was pretty much that the fetus or the zygote, the very early stages of um, the pre-born baby, yeah. um, was just essentially a clump of cells, yeah. something that was so simple that it could not um, be identified as a person or anything worth of considering to be a human life. Yeah. Um, and I'm aware that embryology now has like completely, you know, snuffed that out. That's no longer a live option at the table of ideas. Mm. Um, did you want to speak to that? Yeah, I, and I think that's one of the um, beauties of the technology that we now have is that we can see what's happening in the womb, whereas once upon a time that was 
Hold on, Mitch, if you just want to pass them over, I'll tell oh, yeah. you. I'll I'll walk Good you through ones. them if yeah, you like. I agree. Um, and I think it's really important in these conversations that we know what we're talking about too. Mm. Um, so you start with the littlest one. Oh, yeah. So these are um, some baby models that we would take into the schools um, because uh, I think if people really understood fetal development from a science perspective, it would really help. A lot of people do just think um, they're told it's a clump of cells so they don't really know, they just think it is a clump of cells. When you start to explain to them, um, this is what a baby is doing at this stage of pregnancy, it can make a big difference to I'll them. Take this bag if you'd like. Yeah, start with the littlest one, this one here. So this one, okay. four weeks. Do we want to pass this yeah, around? Do you want as to well? hold it up and then yeah. pass it around? And I'll just read what it says here um, at four just weeks. So. At four weeks, arms and legs are budding and the heart is already beating. So um, eyes have started to develop. The foundations of the brain, spinal cord and entire nervous system are laid. The lungs, stomach and liver begin to develop. So and that's four weeks? At four weeks. Four weeks, okay. um, And so, you know, most women, are, most women don't even know they're pregnant until around about this stage. So um, by the time many women are taking a pregnancy test, that tiny little um, human heart is already starting to beat. Wow. Yeah, and by 30 days, um, or by six weeks, um, they, can record, they, can, they can see brain waves. They can record brain waves at six weeks. Okay. And then... All right, so is this one six weeks? What does that That one's mean? eight weeks. Okay, eight weeks. So at eight weeks, um, eyelids and ears are forming and you can see the tip of the baby's nose. Arms and legs are well formed at eight weeks and fingers and toes are growing longer and more distinct. So by eight weeks, um, every single organ, liver, kidneys, lungs, are all present and functioning. They're just very, very tiny. Okay, and you, you can have a look at these later if you're interested. Well, we can then pass them around later. Yeah, have you got 12 weeks? Um, we passed pass them 12 them weeks okay. around, yeah. 12 weeks, by 12 weeks, fingerprints and fingernails are forming. Mm. Thumb sucking occurs and so do um, complex facial expressions. So babies at 12 weeks can even smile. That's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> Is it like this one, if anyone can see that? No, this one here. Okay. I've been corrected. <laughs> That's this all right. one over here. Listen, just listen to her. That's all right. So the baby can kick its legs, turn its feet and fan out its toes. It can, the baby can make a fist with their hands and the doctors can hear the baby's heartbeat. So that's 12 weeks. Um, most abortions do occur um, by around 12 weeks. I might pass this one around. But we are seeing um, an increase since the um, legislative change in 2018 in Queensland. Mm. There have been an additional 10,000 abortions in that year following. So we, we traditionally there's been somewhere between 10,000 to 14,000 abortions in Queensland every year, and in 2019, the following year from the um, legislative change, there were more than 25,000 abortions. 
Okay, so 12 weeks, 16 weeks. Where are we up to? 16 weeks. Um, the baby can blink their eyes and their facial expressions can resemble those of their parents at 16 weeks. Uh, they have vocal cords and the sex organs are distinguishable. Sperm or egg cells are present at 16 weeks. And um, they've done research to show that if um, they play music to babies from 16 weeks, babies will even move um, rhythm rhythmically in the That's womb amazing. to the music at 16 weeks. By 20 weeks, so we're now halfway, um, the mother usually feels Bubby moving and um, you can see easily them yawning and stretching on ultrasounds and things like that. You can find out the gender of the baby. 24 weeks, um, the baby's ear is fully developed by 24 weeks. The baby will hear sounds in frequencies that are very high or too low for adults to hear. Um, so this is twenty. This is twenty to twenty-two weeks. So it's yeah, a little bit bigger than this. That's this. Yeah. This is. Right. Yeah. So that's twenty weeks. That was the last one I read. So that's halfway, halfway through a pregnancy. Wow, that's like my hand. Yeah. It's like the whole size of my hand. You can take that baby out if you want to. Um, so also at twenty-four weeks, sleeping habits have appeared, and babies have a favourite position to sleep in, at twenty-four weeks. And by 28 weeks, um, the baby's growing hair, eyebrows, um, the skeleton is hardening, the eyelids are opening, um, milk teeth are forming under the gums. And if babies are born at this stage of pregnancy, 28 weeks, they have a good strong chance of survival. And from then on, every week they have a greater chance. So. At 32 weeks, um, babies will recognise mum's voice and can recognise dad's voice as well. Eyelids will open and close and the baby's hands can grasp strongly. And then by 36 weeks, everything is really developed and getting ready for labour. And this is the, uh, <laughs> this is the model we hand around um, to the kids for the, um, the baby that's due to be born. And it's really lovely to watch the, um, the students passing the fetal development models around and they yeah. usually hand those ones back pretty quick. But when they get this one, because this one feels like a real baby, this yeah. one is, gets held to the very end. Yeah. So I'll bring in. It's surprisingly heavy, that one. Yeah, this is, a, this is what a baby often weighs. Is that, that's pretty accurate yeah, that's to the weight? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Okay. <laughs> wow. I've got to get back to Jim. That, that was heavier than I thought. <laughs> Um, that's so fascinating. Yeah, so I think, do you think that's important information for people just to be aware of? I think if people even just knew those few facts, that that could make a really big difference. And I think more um, specifically, the idea of life beginning at conception. Um, so embryology, we're at a stage now where um, we can see that as soon as there is fertilisation, with the egg, that that's the beginning stage? Mm. Is that a scientific fact or is that just an idea? Embryologists all agree, I don't think anybody disagrees, that um, human life begins at conception. So, um, you know, some people would say fertile, um, at implantation. Implantation, okay. But most embryologists say at conception, when the two 
And when the sperm meets the egg and forms that cell and then the cell begins to divide and there's 16 chromosomes from dad, 16 chromosomes from mum and that's a distinct and unique little individual is formed with the entire genetic package is there from that point in time. All that little life needs is time and nourishment. Okay. Um, I've heard the argument that even if at conception there is a human life, um, there's still, it doesn't have personhood. Um, and so the value of the human life is not necessarily um, as great as, say, a baby that's been delivered, a baby that's born outside of the womb, um, because it doesn't have personhood. It's not yet a person. Um, it is a human, but not a person. Have you heard that distinction? And um, what are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I think once we start to ask a question, when does personhood begin, mm. it becomes extremely subjective and everybody's going to have a different view. Once you move away from life is valuable from conception, then where do you draw the line? Is it when, is it after the first trimester? Is it... You know, and that becomes extremely arbitrary. Um, I think that the Bible teaches that all life is precious, and um, mm. yeah. yeah. I, so it's just arbitrary. Yeah, it's hard to put a, a point on it. Like, is it when the heart starts beating, or is it when the brain cells are, are um, this this function there, or yeah? Um, yeah well, I guess. Yeah. It would be hard to put a point on that, is what you're yeah. saying. And, I mean, we ask students that, when do you think life begins? When does that, that mm. child or that baby or that life become a person? And you can get a whole lot of different answers. Yeah. Um, so, but we do know that, um, scientifically, life begins at conception. This is a question that's really important for me because being a male myself, I, I often get this as like a, um, a reaction from some people, um, mm. especially on the internet, um, but also in person I've had this, where they say, you know, pregnancy is essentially a woman's thing, um, that abortion is completely a, a woman's topic. It's between her and her doctor, and so, you know, it's not even a male topic. Mm -hmm. So, essentially, your opinion is um, moot. Mm -hmm. Your point it doesn't stand um, purely because of my gender, you know, mm -hmm. being a male. Um, I mean, can you speak to that? Yeah. I think um, it's, again, one of these ways of shutting down people having, a, a having some input and having a say in the conversation. It's to silence mm. men. It's, so they make um, people who adapt, ad adopt that line of thinking, they make it about women's rights only. But then in making it just about women's rights, it, it's, it, it silences any conversation about the rights of the unborn baby or the rights of the dad or the rights of the grandparent or the rights of... So um, it is important for the woman to, you know, obviously the mum is, is very important. But as I was saying to Mitchell earlier today, um, usually when I speak on this topic, I nearly always have men come up to me after and share a story with me and some women do too but it's almost like when men are given permission to talk about this issue they really do want to talk about it and have I got time to share that story yeah, about yeah. um so one man came to see me one night and said to me that he had been in a relationship for five years um with his partner they were wanting to get married they were wanting to be parents 
um, she fell pregnant and so they set, they were going to get married, so they set the wedding date. Um, they made the, the nursery up in their house and then at 16 weeks pregnancy, um, she came home from work one day and said, I've changed my mind and I don't want to marry you and I don't want to have this baby and I've booked to have a termination. And he was just distraught um, and he said, but, you know, we this is our baby and... He said to her, if you have the baby, I'll take the baby and raise the baby and I won't ask you for anything. Um, just, you know, let's just have the baby and if you want to leave me, that's okay. I'll look after the child. And he went to the police He went, and there were, he has no rights. He went to lawyers and they said the only thing he could do would be to have her committed, which he didn't want to do and he didn't have time to do. And, and before long, she just terminated the pregnancy at 16 weeks. But he said to me, he sat at home for a year and just cried. He said he could not go to work, he couldn't function properly um, and it really brought home to me the fact that it's not just a woman's issue. You know, this dad was profoundly impacted um, by what happened to his child and so we've got to stop, I think, saying this is just a woman's issue and I think the more men's stories that are told... Um, the more light will, will come into that and yeah. you'll see that. That's a sad story. Yeah. Um, what about the thought that um, if you make abortion illegal, mm-hmm. um, then there will be more unsafe abortions, like backyard abortions and things like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the argument goes, essentially, we need abortion to be legal so that they're done and practiced safely in a safe environment with a, a doctor that cares, a nurse that cares, where they're going to be given adequate care during and after. And mm. if you make it illegal, yeah, like I said, it's going to just encourage more dangerous abortions. Yeah, um, yeah speak to that. Well, I think um, when it comes to what is lawful um, is a different topic. Okay. Um, we've got to remember that abortion in Queensland was illegal Um, up until October 2018 unless a mother's life was endangered or her mental health was at stake. So that was the law and under that law there was 10 to 14,000 abortions in Queensland every year. So and now what we have is abortion is legal for any reason at any stage of pregnancy right up until birth. So up to 22 weeks no questions asked Um, after 22 weeks, um, two doctor's signatures, but one doctor can be the um, abortionist and the second doctor doesn't even have to see, meet the woman or see her file, can just be over the phone. So there's not really any protections there, even though they may say there is. So what is the law really accomplishing? I think having been in that space of lobbying and hoping for just laws, I've come to realise that in the end, uh, I think, Mitchell, it's more about what we can do at the grassroots. We cannot expect, even if they changed the law, even if they made, um, even if they were to, again, make abortion illegal, except in certain circumstances, I don't think it is going to change the number of abortions a lot. It may change some. You know, already ten to fourteen thousand when it was when under the yeah. Right. It's I I don't know if I've answered your question, but um, yeah, that. 
But I think what can we do? What can we do as people, as communities? Yeah. You mentioned um, if the mother's life's at risk. There's a few um, obviously difficult scenarios where to some people, um, to many people, abortion seems permissible. Mm. Um, and the, the classic or the, I mean, not to throw it away as a classic thing, but um, one of the big ones that come up is um, what if the pregnancy involves something like rape, mm. um, involves something um, uh, where yeah, the mother's life's at stake or um, the baby's going to be severely deformed. Yeah. Um, uh, shouldn't the mother have the right to be able to terminate um, if, if that's her choice, shouldn't she be able to make that choice? Mm. Um, seeing as the circumstances in which the pregnancy has found itself is, is not ideal. Yeah, and I think people generally go to these um, very serious cases to justify all abortion for any reasons, um, rather than, if we could just acknowledge to start with, that the vast majority of abortions are not performed for these very serious reasons, like um, a mother's life being at stake or rape or some terrible thing like that. So we're talking about a very minor number of cases but they are important cases and they are really and it's good for us to talk about them so if um so if i can begin by saying um first of all if we take this the situation of rape because that is nearly always raised with the kids when i go into the schools so and and i just want to say that rape is a terrible thing and that nobody should ever have to experience rape it's a crime and um and people who commit those crimes should be brought to justice so very sympathetic to any man or woman who has experienced rape. It's a terrible thing. Um, and also, um, the, in a case of a woman getting pregnant from a rape, it is a double um, trauma for her to then find out she's pregnant. Um, however, what we've found in working with women for many, many years is that when women do terminate a pregnancy that's been a result of rape, they feel traumatised again. They don't actually feel healed. They don't feel that an abortion brings any sense of healing. Um, What they feel, and some women describe it as, I felt like I was raped again in the termination of their child. So, um, but of course, from where I sit in a helping profession, we we would never seek to tell women what to do anyway but to offer support to them. And we have found that when women are offered support, um, many of them do continue their pregnancies. On the the issue of rape, um, when I go into the schools and I talk to the kids, I put up a slide, I don't have it tonight, um, of Frederick Frederick Douglass, um, who many of you may know um, as an Afro-American social activist in the 1800s. And... Frederick Douglass, well known, and also Lane Beachley. She is an Australian um, champion surfer. Some of you may know Lane. Um, Miss Pennsylvania, this beautiful woman who won that, you know, beauty contest. And there was another one um, who's a lawyer, a well-known lawyer in the United States. And I put their photos up and I say to the students, what do all four of these people have in common And the thing that they all have in common is that they were conceived in rape. And I think it's very easy 
to dehumanise a child who's the product of a rape, but when you realise that they, they are human beings as well and they're not to blame for the crime of their father, um, you, people see it in a very different light. Um, and not all women who are raped and get pregnant choose to terminate. Some do um, choose to carry their children to term and have their babies, whether they raise them themselves or whether they place those babies with another family. And they often say that that was the only positive thing that came from that terrible experience. Wow. And that's... Um, I can't imagine um, something like that. Um, in case of maybe like the mother's health being at risk, that's mm. another one that comes up. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I've walked with a few women through this. Um, there's, there are a, um, a small number of reasons why a woman's health could be at risk if she continued a pregnancy. I'm not a doctor and so I can't give any medical you know, information about that. I know there's some um, heart reasons, but um, it's very few and far between. And I had a woman, a man actually phoned me um, a couple of years ago to say they were re really devastated. Um, his wife, uh, they had two little boys aged four and two and she'd fallen pregnant um, with the third child and the doctor had said that if she continued the pregnancy that she could die and, he, and the doctor had um, recommended an abortion. And Dad was really conflicted because he was so worried and scared to lose his wife but also didn't want to take the life of their unborn child either and was really conflicted. So I spoke with his wife and she was full of fear, as you can imagine. Um, her situation was that when she had birthed their second child, she hemorrhaged. Um, she had placenta previa, she hemorrhaged and she, it was a very serious situation. She pulled through and the baby was fine. But with the third pregnancy, the doctor said, look, I'm really worried and I think you should terminate the pregnancy. So I could understand her fear. Um, we have doctors that we work with as well and I spoke to them and I actually spoke to four doctors and they said to me that in her case they wouldn't recommend a termination. Um, they said that they would monitor a woman like that very closely. They would give her more, more support and more help throughout the pregnancy, keep an eye on the placenta where it was and if necessary do a caesarean section. Um, and so through that, I was just able to connect her in with another doctor and say, you know, are you interested in just getting a second opinion? Um, which she did. And long story short, um, she saw an amazing obstetrician all the way through her pregnancy who was a Christian doctor. And she delivered a healthy baby girl with no complications, no bleeding, no. So she was perfectly fine. So the doctors are not always right the first time either so I would always encourage people to get a second opinion before they make a decision like that um, again though Mitchell at the end of the day that woman has and her husband they have to make that decision them you know we we can't tell people what to do yeah. but, mm. um, you do often hear it said that um, being said that uh, abortion is something like the termination of the pregnancy the going through that is something that's usually quite safe. It's it's quick. Um, essentially, it's healthcare for women, and um, there are no ongoing um, ramifications. Mm. Um, are there any risks or dangers associated with abortion, whether it be psychological or um, physical, emotional, um, and over long term? 
Yeah, I think um, there are some physical risks, obviously, because in order to perform an abortion, there has to be surgical instruments used, um, vacuum aspiration and so forth. But it depends also on the stage of pregnancy. So there's always going to be some physical risks to having an abortion. Um, in, but I'm not a medical person, but, you know, I'm aware that scarring can occur. Um, there can be a... Um, yeah, there's a number of different things. I probably won't go into all the medical stuff, but psychologically speaking, I've, I know a fair bit more and I've studied that quite a lot. So um, probably the researcher that's done the most work on this is uh, Dr um, Priscilla Coleman. Um, she's in, at Bowling Green University in the stage and she's um, done a meta-analysis and what that is, is it's gathering together all of the studies that have been done on the psychological implications um, following an abortion. And she's, um, her results were that she found that women who have had an abortion have an 81% increased risk of mental health problems. And 81%. 80, an increased risk of um, 81%. That's yeah. Massive. So and so, what she found was that um, women who've had terminations have an increased risk of depression, anxiety, eating and sleeping disorders, substance abuse often goes up, and so forth. There's also um, relational problems. Um, somewhere around 75% of relationships break up following an abortion, which is... Um, Interestingly, the same statistic for uh, marriages or relationships that break up after the death of a child. So there are some um, there are some serious things to think about, and some women, of course, will be more vulnerable to those kinds of things than other women. That like every woman is different, has a different history, and so forth. Um, but if I could just point you to one researcher, um, David Ferguson from New Zealand. And I, I use his work because he describes himself as a pro-choice atheist and um, he did a longitudinal study of um, children over 25 years. He followed them throughout their life and he wasn't looking at abortion. He was looking at a whole lot of different things. Um, but he just stumbled across the finding that the women in his study who had had abortions had a much higher incidence of depression, anxiety, substance abuse, sleeping and eating disorders, all the same things that Priscilla Coleman writes about in her studies. Um, and so he thought this is a really important finding. Um, women need to know these risks so that they can make an informed decision. And so he tried to have his study um, published and ordinarily... He's a well-known researcher in New Zealand. He has a team of researchers. Everything they write is published immediately. He said it took four journals before anyone would publish his findings on abortion and, in fact, he was asked not to publish them. So that just shows how political this whole area is. Um, but it is very important that people are aware um, that there can be the psychological effects. Yeah. So it's not as just straightforward as, as it might sound like? You know, this is that message, isn't it? It's simple, safe, it's a simple, safe procedure. It's over and done with and then you can just get on with your life. And I think what women need to know is that whatever they choose, their life is not going to go back the same as it was. And I think that's the lie of abortion is that you can just get rid of a problem and your life will go back to what it was before. But 
um, once a woman is pregnant, her life has changed forever. So whether she keeps that baby and raises that baby or she places her baby for adoption or whether she has an abortion, her life is never, ever going to be exactly as it was before she was pregnant. And I think that's important. People need to weigh up um, not just where they are right now but also how they're going to feel in the long term. You mentioned adoption as one of the options. Mm. Um, I think it remind, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the reasons why um, it seems that it's such a um, serious issue and it's such a pressuring issue is because of that, that often women feel pressured because of something that, you know, in their, in their, maybe in their marriage or their home life or, or their career opportunities. And so they're kind of given this as um, abortion is your only way out or abortion is your only choice mm-hmm. um, to fix whatever problem. Um, but you mentioned adoption. Yeah. Um, and was there one more that you also mentioned there? Is adoption? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Abortion is not the only option is, is what I'm getting at. I think for a lot of women they feel abortion is their only option and that's the really sad thing. They, they find themselves... I don't think... That certainly the many women I've worked with over the years... They don't, women don't choose abortions because they want to have an abortion. It's not really a free choice. They choose abortions because they feel they don't have any other option. They don't have any other choice. And most women have abortions because they feel coerced by a partner, a parent, their circumstances, I can't afford this child right now, I can't, I'm going to lose my job, or whatever the circumstances are that are coercing her. Um, for, for many of the women that I've worked with, they were so afraid that if they didn't have an abortion, they'd be homeless. Yeah. They, you know, it's so, for many women, it's not this free choice that it's made out to be. Um, but also, most women don't choose adoption either because many women think, how can I go all the way through a pregnancy, have a baby, and then pass that baby to another family? So um, many women don't choose adoption, but there are many, many families um, who would welcome welcome a baby into their home. Um, and I've been really privileged to walk that journey with some women. And, um, yeah, it, you know, it is. But, ap- but apart from adoption too, I think... We need to um, have communities where women feel that they can be supported to have their babies and raise their babies, where couples feel that they can do this, you know? Um, So, yeah. What what help is out there for anyone who may have experienced an abortion Mm. themselves or has a friend or a family member that has had had an abortion, yeah. um, where can someone go to get help and, um, and healing? Yeah, I'm glad you said that because there is healing. There is, there's always healing and abortion is not the unforgivable sin and every one of us have believed lies of some kind in our lives and we've made decisions and we look back and wish maybe I'd made a different decision. And I, I think... Um, This is where the Christian community is so important. This is where the church is so important, to love and embrace people and um, I think to be able to um, have a place where people can go, pastors, and just by you, Mitchell, tonight, talking about this and having this 
conversation, it shows that this is a place where people can come and talk about these things. It gives people permission to talk about these things. And I've, I've known, I know of a woman who was um, going on 90 who had never told anybody that she had an abortion. And she'd, yet she'd carried a terrible grief with her all those years and never told a soul. Um, well, we want to be a healing community. Um, so I would say, um, yeah, but there are organisations like Priceless House, there's, um, there, there's phone counselling, free phone, phone counselling available um, for, for people, men and women, who have been through that. And, yeah, I think t- to make people feel that they're among friends, you know, that they're loved. Yeah. yeah. And something even just as simple as saying my phone number as mm. well. Like if you ever need to talk about something, um, mm. you can call me. Yeah. You can, here's my number and you can contact me and just, not to say that I'm an expert, but someone who can just listen to you, yeah. um, let you just reason it through and talk it through. I think that's also quite helpful. Yeah. Um, where would you recommend someone to go if they wanted to learn more about this this topic or uh, maybe even support something that, that like what you do? Yeah. I think, um, well, Price's House is a local pregnancy support centre, so that's always a great one to to get involved in and, and there's, multi, you know, so many different ways. Um, so that's a start. If you're interested in um, more of the advocacy side, um, you know, Australian Christian Lobby and Cherish Life and organisations like that do a terrific job and they they give you information about statistics and where things are, you know, if you want to learn more from that side of things. Um, and I think, yeah, do your own research. There's lots of really good books. Um, I can recommend um, a number of really great books for you to read if you're interested. Melinda Tankard Reist wrote a brilliant book um, a number of years ago called Giving Sorrow Words, um, Stories of Grief um, After Abortion. And um, that's a very powerful book. Um, so mm-hmm. there's a lot. And yeah, I mean, come and talk to us. I can point you to some, some great resources if you're interested in that. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, Julie, for coming that's tonight. Okay. Mum, Julie. <laughs> um, was that fun, everybody? <laughs> Um, we, um, we we could do something like a quick Q&A but we've, we've got two minutes so um, <laughs> doesn't give much room um, I mean unless there's somebody who really does have a question um, she's the lady to ask uh, we didn't really plan this but if someone has anything that they want to bring up or ask feel free um, uh, maybe that this is that space to do that now Otherwise, um, I hope that was informative tonight and um, helpful. And um, I, uh, we're just at the end. We're just going to have a, um, a time. If if somebody wants prayer for anything, um, feel free just to come to the front. I would love to to pray yeah. with you, or or yeah. um, or Julie can pray with you, or a number of other pastors are here as well. If you have some something that you need to share or talk to somebody about, please um, take that opportunity talk to someone um, otherwise um, we're just going to pray and conclude the service tonight so let's do that dear heavenly father we thank you lord for your word we thank you for your truths god and we thank you for life we thank you for today that we can celebrate life we thank you lord that you value life so much lord that it is you that has put 
that value upon us, upon our lives, upon the unborn. And Lord, um, we just ask that we would be responsible with what you've given us, God, that we would defend those who cannot speak for themselves. And Lord, that we would be willing to stand up for truth in love, God, regardless of how difficult it it may be in, in any given situation, Lord, that we would not compromise on truth, but we would also balance with what you did perfectly, Jesus, um, grace and truth, Lord. And so we ask for your help. And Lord, we just pray, God, for um, wisdom in our going. And when we talk with people, Lord, that we would just have love, Lord, that we are first known by our love for one another. And so let us model your love to others first and foremost, Jesus. And um, we pray that everything that was shared tonight, Lord, would just um, resonate with people in their hearts and that our lives um, would be benefited from that. We give you all the glory, Lord Jesus. In, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at brainer.org.au.